Hi, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. Are you struggling to understand how you should approach and talk to sponsors? Is seeking sponsorship a task you dread or maybe have even given up on? Well, we've got an awesome episode for you today that is going to boost your confidence and reset your entire thinking around sponsorship. It's going to help you understand what sponsorship truly is about, what sponsors really look to get out of it, and how, through some simple, disciplined steps and a change of mindset, you can transform your chances of securing sponsors for your event. My guest in today's episode is an industry leader I've personally followed for years. To call Kim Skildum Reed a sponsorship expert would be something of an understatement. Through her power sponsorship consultancy, Kim has helped countless blue chip rights holders and sponsors plan and execute effective sponsorship strategies. And through her best selling books and online courses, she's probably done more than anyone to educate sponsorship practitioners on the fundamentals of sponsorship. So, it is super exciting to have Kim on the podcast today, sharing her insights into the fundamentals of sponsorship and the mindset you, as a sponsorship seeker, need to adopt to succeed in this very challenging arena. By the way, Kim has been nice enough to surprise us with a 30% off code for her best-selling Getting to Yes online sponsorship course. So, if you're interested in taking your sponsorship game to another level, we'll be including details of that discount code in the show notes. But be quick. The code expires on August 10th. Before we go into all that, though, a quick shout out to the amazing sponsors supporting this podcast. Many thanks to Run Sign Up, Race Director's favorite all in one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events, now powering more than 26,000 in person, virtual, and hybrid events. And many thanks to RaceCheck, whose free RaceCheck review box widget can help you collect and showcase your participant feedback on your own website helping you more easily convert website visitors into paying participants. I will be hearing a bit more from these two great companies a little later in the podcast. But now, let's dive into today's Sponsorship Masterclass with Kim Skildum reed Kim, welcome to the podcast. Oh, g'day. Thank you very much for having me, Panos. Thank you very, very much for coming on. As I've told you repeatedly, it is an absolute thrill to have you on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of your work. I've been following you ever since I uh, went into doing events, which is like a different uh, life now. And every time anyone comes to me and they say, I want to go into sponsorship or something, or how do I get started? What is it all about? I always point people to your powersponsorship.com website. I think you have amazing stuff there. I think you know your stuff inside out, and it's a pleasure and an honor for me and our listeners to have you on. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I I mean, I try to make the site as useful as I possibly can. So I appreciate that you find it to be a useful resource. And I hope that the listeners sort of get over there and poke around a while because there's lots of blogs and, you know, white papers and downloadable templates and things like that. So there's heaps there, even video tutorials. Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of stuff, all very high quality. And you do actually uh, keep up putting new stuff out, which I think is amazing. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your very long and distinguished uh, career in sponsorship? (laughs) And we'll pick it up from there. So power sponsorship has been around here in Australia since not long after I got here. I mean, I've been here like 30 years and I think power sponsorship has been around about 28 and a half of those. So 
basically, I'm a consultant. I mean, I'm a, a corporate sponsorship strategist. I work primarily in the consulting capacity for major corporate sponsors and also for um, government and lar- usually larger rights holders. So people on your side of the business in terms of consulting and doing strategic work for them. But I do work and do training and in-house strategy sessions and all of that kind of stuff for a whole range of sponsors, government, all sorts of rights holders of all sizes, agencies, et cetera, et cetera. So lots and lots of that kind of thing. I also do some on-demand coaching. So, you know, if somebody needs a uh, sort of an expert and expert advice on demand at like critical moments, they can they can book in for a coaching session with me. And I've also um, got books and white papers and online training available. So heaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And, and you go to book- conferences, there's every chance you'll run into me as a as a speaker or keynoter as somewhere around the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Your, your book is, uh, I think, is like the best-selling book in sponsorship on Amazon. And I think we sort of cheated a little bit. We we piggybacked on that title. So I think the, the title of the book is The Sponsor Seekers Toolkit. And we, we named this podcast The Sponsorship, the, yeah, sponsorship Seekers Toolkit. Sponsorship Seekers Toolkit, yeah. And, and it's in its fourth edition and it is the best-selling sponsorship book in the world. I've actually written the three best-selling sponsorship books in the world. So, but that one is the one for your side of the business, for race directors, is the Sponsorship Seekers Toolkit. It's full of like downloadable templates and proposal templates and all the how-to and all the checklists and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And the other thing that comes across by reading your constant stream of very high-quality content and following you on LinkedIn, as I do, is that you're very passionate about what you do. Like you're still having fun, aren't you? Oh, God, yes. I love this. I so love doing sponsorship. I mean, it is just a privilege. And and part of the reason that I love it so much is that it's real left brain, right brain thing. There's lots and lots of analysis that needs to go into doing sponsorship well, no matter what role in the industry you have. But then you actually have to apply lots of creativity and, and I love being able to access sort of both sides. And it's an interesting challenge because if, if somebody is heavily one side or the other, they're going to need to sort of find a brain's trust that balances them off. Yeah. And I think that's partly, um, I think the challenge with doing sponsorship right, that there is no recipe, that it obviously requires a degree of quantitative ability to be able to understand stuff and and be a little bit structured and disciplined about how you approach it. But the more you practice it, you see aspects to it that go way beyond that. And I guess experiences plays a very big role in this. Look, experience and talent do count, but, but there is a methodology that will get even beginners to the right place. If you sort of take my online training or do some training with me or buy the book or whatever. It basically steps you through. Here's what you do first. And here's how you think about this. And here's how you analyze what you have to offer. And this is how you put it together for a sponsor. And here's how you figure out who the potential sponsors are. And it's just sort of one step after another. And and pretty soon you realize you're doing it. (laughs) And even if you don't have experience, and even if you might not have a lot of intrinsic talent for this, it's not like it's impossible. It's, it's, if you just follow the steps, you can do it. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's like one of those things where they say, you know, some tasks that they are simple, but hard in the sense <laughs> that what you need to do is 
pretty straightforward, like in dieting, right? I mean, you need to just yeah. not eat, but it's very <laughs> hard for people to follow those very simple steps, I guess, right? And with sponsorship, they get lost all the time. They get their emotions and their and their prejudices and stuff all piling up and they just, they, they lose track. And it's really easy to fall into bad habits and think, okay, what I need to do is I need to send a one-page sponsorship request letter to 200 companies that I can, you know, sort of find an email for or whatever. And it's like, look, that right there is, it takes a lot of work and a lot of follow-up and all that. And you're going to get exactly $0 for that. It's like, you're going to get none. And so your option is to spin your wheels and get nothing or do it properly and and start to bring in good sponsors for good money. And yeah, it may take you a little while before you're hitting, you know, as we say in uh, in Australia, the big bickies, the big biscuits in terms of <laughs> more money. Um, but you will actually start to get traction if you do it properly. Absolutely. And I think part of the obstacles that race directors particularly face when they start looking into sponsorship at least in my estimation, and, and that's why we put together today's podcast, come down to mindset. It, it comes down to how they approach things. I think often they lack confidence, which obviously comes when you don't understand things right through. Sometimes you just, you're not confident enough to, to go out and make demands or be bold or, you know, like hold your ground or whatever, right? And also quite often, and we're going to get into several examples of this, they don't understand sponsors. And I think no. that's, you know, like another key element of, I'm guessing you may have seen it even, even with very high profile rights holders. Yeah. In fact, there are some very high profile rights holders that because they're very high profile, they have sponsors knocking on their door. So they've never really had to up their, their skills, you know, because they've, they've had it really pretty easy. And, and suddenly COVID particularly really amplified and accelerated the sophistication curve for sponsors and most rights holders didn't follow that curve. They're, they're, they're like, woo, so glad we're back to live events and all that. So they go back to sponsorship as usual when sponsors have completely changed their approach. And what they're looking for are peers, are people that are on the rights holders that are not looking for a handout, that are not less sophisticated. They want sophisticated marketing partners. That's what they want. And they want that more now than they did before COVID. And, and so if you think you're going to sort of go back to the pre-COVID, in quotes, good old days, they're not good. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We did a podcast with Ben Pickle, who is the person responsible at Lifetime Events. They operate a series of very high profile races and he sells sponsorships for that portfolio. And he was telling me that another challenge that race directors have with COVID is that because of what happened... Sponsors have moved on, they've done other stuff, they've deployed budgets elsewhere, and now there also needs to be a kind of re-education and rekindling with sponsors for even the value of sponsorship, basically, just to make a case why this is relevant still. Well, look, part of, of the COVID impact on sponsors is that suddenly they were sponsoring a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't happening. So they had to pivot really quickly to how do we continue to nurture our relationships with these fans, the people that care about this, whether it's people that run in your races, people that care about particular races, or even just people that care about running 
you know, like the, the larger themes around that, that those people didn't stop caring about that stuff. They just didn't have events to go to. So sponsors had to pivot and learn how to add value to their relationships with these people who are remote fans. So they're fans that aren't right there on site. Now, here's the kicker. They should have been doing that before COVID because that exponentially expands the target market, the value of what rights holders are, are offering, because it's not just, well, we got 5,000 people running in our race or what have you. It's like, but this is how many people care. And this is how many people we can reach that love running and, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And so sponsors have gotten really good at that whole remote fans thing. So now that, that live events are back, Look, sponsors really love that live events are back, but they want you to come to, to the table with a proposal that says, here's what you can do on site. And here's what you can do with, for the people that are the remote fans. And here's the content and cool stuff that you can do to your own target markets. And here's the stuff you can do in your own channels. And you can do this stuff for months and months and months. It's not just about that one day. And it's not just about the one geographic location. Like it's really throwing the, the net wide. And I would suggest that, um, you know, anybody listening to this, I've got a blog that's about the, the most important post COVID sponsorship strategies for rights holders. And it really talks about like this increased sophistication and the expectations that sponsors have that are so different than they were three years ago. So I'll, I'll be providing you with that link so that, um, you know, the listeners can sort of dig a little bit deeper into all of this. For everyone listening in, we're going to be adding Kim's blog posts and other, other resources in the show notes. What you mentioned there, I think is really important. And it's actually um, a thing that keeps coming up, this lack or inability or disinterest from race directors to engage stakeholders more generally throughout the year outside of race day. We're even talking participants, right? I mean, for most, even, even their participants, it's like, you know, race day, here's your results, done, see you next year. So this kind of inability to do like, to leverage all the sponsors and the participants and your, your whole sort of ecosystem beyond race day is a huge failure, I think, for the industry. Well, it is. I mean, it's a failure for race directors' own marketing efforts, you know, continuing to nurture those those relationships. But it's it's really akin to just shooting yourself in your in the foot, you know, with sponsors. You know, if you're really only talking about marketing to a sponsor, something that happens with one day with a few hundred or a few thousand or a couple ten thousands of people in one geographic area, it's like, man. There are so much better opportunities out there than that. And it's only just because you framed it too small that, that you're not nurturing those relationships, that you're not delivering that conduit to those relationships to the sponsors all year round, or at least, you know, sort of during running season or whatever it might may be. You can tell I'm not a runner. I, I do a lot of miles, but yeah, not a, not a racer at all. <laughs> well, it's never too late to uh, pick up good habits. So, okay, we've, we've started picking up on, on already lots of stuff that I want to go into a little bit more detail, but I want us first to sort of like fast track a little bit through a few basic concepts. I wanted mostly to get your take on two or three really foundational concepts around sponsorship be before we move into other stuff. So starting with the most basic of all, I guess, and these questions, because they are so basic, sometimes they're quite tough. 
So what is sponsorship from your point of view? How would you describe it to someone who has no idea what sponsorship is about? Okay. From the sponsor's point of view, which is probably the, the best way to understand it, because you've got to get those sponsors to say yes, it is a leverageable marketing platform. So what you're selling them is not what's going to deliver the results for them. It's what they do with that, the leverage that is going to create the results. So all those signs on things, it's like, you know, fine, get sponsorship from ASICs or Brooks or whoever and stick their signs up. But really, honestly, how many people that run have never heard of Brooks? That's just nothing. So, but what could Brooks do with it? That's where they're going to get their result. So, so sponsorship is a leverageable marketing platform. And that means that when you're selling sponsorship, you need to frame it that way. It's like, this is the platform we can give you. Here are the benefits we can give you. And this is what you can do with it, with your own markets, your staff, you know, the, the people that follow you, plus the people that follow us, plus the people that participate, plus the people in the audience and, and all the people that are going to be watching the sort of, you know, live stream or whatever. <laughs> um, that's the critical thing is it's a leverageable marketing platform. If all you're offering is some signs or banners on your website or something like that, or, you know, something stuck in a show bag that the people get when they finish or when they pick up their race numbers. That's not sponsorship, not in and of itself. That's, you know, may have some kind of value, but it's not leverageable in and of itself. That's just product placement or advertising. What you want is a comprehensive and what sponsors want is a comprehensive, leverageable marketing platform. And all of your races have it, all of them. There's, and there's some methodologies for figuring out what you've got and where your value lies. But the first thing is to understand that your job is to provide a leverageable marketing platform. So you need to expose basically all those touch points and all of those basically opportunities and present a vision to how, to how the sponsor on the other end, what they can make out of that. Correct. I mean, your offer, your proposal isn't about, you know, the benefits and the price and all the reasons why your event is so wonderful. Your proposal is about creating that vision for what they can do with it. That's what it's about. That is the entire premise of a sponsorship proposal. And, and there are lots of ways to do that. And all of the listeners out there, they can all do that. And suddenly the value of what they offer just skyrockets. Yeah. And how how hard do you think in that vision should the race director or the rights holder more generally sort of filling in the gaps for the sponsor or like, you know, helping them actually see the bigger picture? So they actually give direction or lean in and tell sponsors how exactly they might be activating this or just offer up the assets and the platform and the opportunity and, and the just the rawness of it and then sponsors just project onto it what they want? That's a two-part answer right there. The first, the first thing is, it is absolutely the sponsor's job to figure out how to leverage a sponsorship. It's their job to figure it out, to make the plan, to carry out the leverage, to pay for the leverage. That's their job, right? But most sponsors are getting hit up with hundreds, if not thousands of sponsorship offers every single month. And if your job is to create vision 
your best option, your absolute number one thing that you should have in a proposal is that thing that says, and here's what you can do with it and have some ideas in there. Some really interesting ideas that they could do on site or they could do in their own, in their own channels. Could they do a limited edition? Could they do, you know, what could they do exactly? You know, a train, you know, a training diary. What could they do? Like you can tell I'm not really a race person, but. <laughs> I did 12 and a half Ks this morning, but I don't race. That's great. <laughs> so, and so creating that vision, on one hand, it's not a rights holder's job. I mean, it's not. Sponsors are supposed to do that. But on the other hand, if a sponsor gets 500 proposals a month, let's just say, and that's low, <laughs> then who are they going to actually consider? The ones that have just said, okay, well, you know, here's the benefits and here's the price and here's how great we are. You figure it out. Or the ones that say, we understand your brand. We understand your markets. This is why we're targeting you because we think this is a good match and here's why. And here is what you can do with it to achieve your objectives. Here are a whole bunch of ideas that we've come up with specifically for you. And then you wrap it up with the sort of benefits in the price. But the sell is in that vision creating. And you keep bringing up this point in your writing. I've, I've noticed it in, in many, many places. The thing about how much better and more attractive you come across as a rights holder when in your proposal you make an effort to actually understand the market your sponsor is in, even their, you know, the issues they might be facing. Yep. Almost be on their side and and frame everything from the point of view of what they're after. I mean, it makes total sense to just say it like that, but very few people probably do that. Very, very, very few do it. And it's not actually that hard. Like, you know, sort of once you've done it a few times and thought, okay, this is a really, really good, well-matched sponsor. So I'm going to go and check their social and I'm going to look at their websites and I'm going to, you know, if, if it's something that you see in the supermarket or a liquor store or whatever, you know, I'm going to go and look at it and see how it's marketed there. Uh, I'm going to look in, and search for the advertising that they're doing. If they're doing any main media or something, you'll find it on YouTube. You'll find it. And from that, you'll be able to infer a lot about who it is they're targeting, not like you know, 18 to 34 year old males, like what kind of people like are these beginner runners that are trying to get their, you know, their first completion medal? Or is it or is it, you know, those hardcore 100 kilometers through the mountains kind of people? Or is it just people that need to get fitter? You can infer a lot about the types of people that they're targeting. And you can also infer a lot about the angles on their products and their brands that they're highlighting, like what's the epicenter? What are the real unique selling points that they're pushing right now? The kind of offers that they're making right now, because that'll give you a lot of that information. And then when you reach out to a sponsor, you, you have a lot of this information already. And you can say things like, I noticed that, that you, um, have a big push toward new runners. Like, and you have a lot of content for new runners. If, if we can help you out with new runners, would that be useful for you? Because we, we've got a lot of content and create some stuff jointly with you. Or, you know, you sort of just being able to say, look, I, I did the research and I know this about you. And then as soon as you've demonstrated that, the sponsor is just going to spill everything else. They're going to go, oh, crap. These people have 
done their homework. So, all right, let me talk to you about our objectives. And so the new runners is a kind of an emerging thing for us, but we still want to be doing this with the, you know, with the um, existing running and, and uh, or nutrition or whatever marketplace or whoever it might be. And so as soon as you can demonstrate that, they'll fill in all the little gaps that you've missed. And once you've got that, it's like, okay, well, if we, I understand this brand is trying to achieve this, this, and this with these people here, some of which we reach and some of which they reach, how can we help them to add value to that experience? How can we help them to align with these people? Yeah, it doesn't actually take much to see why this should be, uh, you know, really valuable. You know, just taking an interest, right, and and understanding whom it is you're talking to and what it is you can offer to them. Now, turning the tables a little bit and looking at the race director, race directors I speak to, not surprisingly, they all go for cash. You know, they're thinking of sponsorship. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bring in some cash. Often, sponsors go in with more complex arrangements and more complex agreements, and I think. Sometimes race directors fail to see the bigger picture beyond cash of what a sponsorship can bring to an event. Right. So what is it beyond just money that a rights holder could look towards in a sponsorship? Well, money's great. We love money. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm not going to say, look, just forget the money, look at the other stuff. But that a lot of sponsors can provide you with contra, otherwise known as in-kind. Now, the key with that is only consider contra that saves you money. Like, look at your budget. If they're giving you contra that saves you actual money, then it's worth what it saved you. It's not worth more than that. It's not worth less than that. Like, if you had to fly in, I don't know if you guys do a lot of flying in of people, but let's just say you had to fly in 15 elite runners and their teams and you had a, a and you had an airline that said yep we can do that and you'd had a budget to do that of i'm just going to say $40,000 let's say then oftentimes rights holders will say well that's not worth anything because you know those seats would have been empty if my people weren't in those seats and then the airline says well, we're going to value this at full fare economy or full fare, which is nobody pays that, you know, it's like, it's, so if you were going to fly 15 people and their coaches and all that kind of stuff, and it was going to cost you $40,000, that would be some kind of group discount kind of, you know, deal that you would have done. So rights holders are wrong. It's not worth nothing because those seats would be empty without those people in them. And airlines are wrong in valuing them at a price that nobody is actually going to pay. Like you can go on the internet and get them cheaper than that. So, <laughs> so it's worth what it saves you. No more, no less. And if you call a sponsor on that, by the way, they will buckle because they know yeah. <laughs> that yeah. valuing it higher than it would have cost you to buy is wrong. Well, you're absolutely right. If anything that eliminates a budget item is as good as cash. I mean, you know, cash is fungible. It's often easier for sponsors to say yes to those things. So you can say things like, okay, what we need is $30,000 in cash and we need this many air tickets. Because it's actually easier to, for them to say that. And for you, then that's $70,000, let's just say, of money that you now have that you don't have to spend on the air tickets and plus some cash. And, and so 
it makes it easier for them to say yes. Now, just a, a word on some of the other things that sponsors bring to the table. They can bring to the table expertise because sometimes they have people on staff that have expertise and in areas that that rights holders can use. They certainly have huge, huge, some of them have huge marketing um, apparatus. So if, if you're giving them ideas on how they can leverage this in their channels, they're leveraging your events in their channels. And that's valuable to you. You're introducing that event that organization to a whole bunch of new people who may become fans. They may or may not actually run in it, but they will become fans. And that is leverageable for a sponsor, whether the race director cares about those remote fans or not. That's leverageable and valuable for a sponsor. And, you know, so they can bring a lot to the table that's beyond cash. And just one thing on cash is that sponsorship is always unallocated income. So it's like, you don't have to spend that money on what they're sponsoring. Like if you've got a, a, you know, a marquee event, you can raise tons of money around, but then you also have like a development league for runners, you know, for like newer runners, kind of a development league sort of thing that really doesn't have, you know, sort of a lot of marketing value at the moment. You can reallocate some of that mon- money to that. That's fine. You know, what you do with the money is your business as long as you are delivering exactly what what you've promised to sponsor. Sure. And actually, uh, a couple of examples that, again, came up when I was talking to Ben about what they do in some of their really huge trail ultra races that they do is they had, for instance, one of their headline sponsors, I think it was uh, La Sportiva or someone, come in and they did something like, you know, like imagine like in the middle of the mountain, you've run 50 kilometers already and like they sponsor like a hot chocolate station or something or like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like like a massage chair or something like that. Right. And just doing that outside of what you might get out of it on top of it is good for the event experience. Right. I mean, it, it just it, it enhances your event. People leave your event feeling happier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. hopefully with today's lessons from Kim influencing your mindset on sponsorship, you're going to be getting out there soon and pursuing the right types of sponsors for your event with the right kind of attitude. Well, not surprisingly, Run Sign Up, the trusted provider of all the technology you'll ever need for your event, has a few things up its sleeve to help you along the way. With Run Sign Up's sponsor management system, you can easily control how your sponsors are promoted through your race website and how they appear on your event emails. You can choose to send out to your participants dedicated emails on behalf of your sponsors with offers and other information, and even include watermarks of your sponsor brands on your race photos, which is a great way, by the way, to incentivize sponsors to pay for your free race photos if you choose to go down that road. You can also design custom email templates that nicely incorporate your sponsor branding and set up fully custom pages on your race website to share your sponsor's stories with your participants and website visitors. And when the time comes to put together a sponsorship proposal or send that next monthly update to your sponsors, Run Signup's data reporting tools can help you save tons of time collecting and compiling the data you need with instant data exports in all major data formats and great graph visualizations. You can just copy and paste straight into your sponsor reports. So, to learn more about Run Signup's sponsor activation capabilities and many other great features, head over to runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com and see why over 26,000 events are using Run Signup's industry-leading technology 
to take their races to the next level. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Let's move on a little bit into some of the misconceptions and and confusions around sponsorship, of which I think there's a fair amount in our industry. One of them that is I, I see almost every other day is people confusing sponsorship with donations oh, and grants yes. and stuff like that. They go out and they think, oh, I'm going to go get a sponsorship for X because, you know, we're doing all this great stuff and we're a good organization and they would like to support us kind of thing. So I know you're very allergic to this. Why don't you lay out for people the absolute hard difference between donations and sponsorship and how you might approach each and how very different they are? A donation is only pertinent if you're a registered charitable organization. That's the first thing. So if you're not a registered charity, just throw that one out there. You can't even go down that track. So that's just stupid. Even if you are a registered charitable organization, like let's say it's a fun run that that benefits breast cancer research, for instance. A donation is money that is provided with no expectation of commercial return, like none. If they get any commercial return, they have to call it a marketing expense. Going out there and asking for donations or saying something like, and if you provide us with this, it's tax deductible because we're a charitable organization. It's like, man, it would be tax deductible even if they were the bloody Super Bowl because it's a marketing expense. (laughs) (laughs) And that is 100% tax deductible, just like like, uh, philanthropy. So philanthropy is, is... money that's provided with no expectation of commercial return. And because there is no expectation of commercial return, they tend to be smaller amounts of money, often, you know, what you, what we call in the industry, go away money. Like you look for $50,000 of sponsorship and, and if you don't frame it up right, they'll say, well, we can provide you with $1,500, um, you know, a little donation on the side or something like that. So that's philanthropy. You don't want philanthropy. I mean, Look, if you're a charitable organization, don't knock it back. But if you're genuinely in the sponsorship market, don't act like you're looking for a handout. And then a grant is when you request money from a a company, an organization to underwrite specific costs. Oftentimes your races would probably look for grants from like local councils or states or what have you that want to host your events. And basically at the end of the day, then, you know, they're not leveraging it. They're not like trying to get a marketing return. Um, they, they might be trying to get some kind of economic development type of thing about that, but you have to acquit every single dollar where it went. And you don't want that out of sponsorship because again, it's unallocated funds. So sponsorship is going to get you a lot more money because you're showing them what, you know, creating some vision over, about what they can achieve. It gives you the opportunity to mix in-kind and cash sponsorship, and they're going to be leveraging across their marketing channels, which is good for your event. So I, I, I just can't tell you, even if you are a charitable organization, frame it up as a marketing opportunity, and, and suddenly you are accessing budgets that are so much bigger and in a much more shrewd way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You're saying that there's also two different buckets internally for organizations that go to donations and marketing. And you're saying marketing 
has by far the biggest budget. So that's the pie you want to go after. And most companies, if they if they do donations at all, they have some kind of a foundation set up. And those foundations in most countries, not all countries, but in most countries, they tend to be really underfunded. And it's sort of where they flick charitable organizations for that, that go away money. Because, you know, it's like, oh, no, we don't want to say no to the children's hospitals. So can you just flick them a couple thousand dollars, you know, and instead of treating it like a real opportunity? I think in in one of your posts, I remember reading that there's also definitely some taboo words you don't want to be using in sponsorship. Things around, you know, like a gift or assist us or, you know, like support us or stuff like that. Support or help or, yeah, that kind of stuff. You absolutely don't want to use those things because it isn't. It's not assisting you. It's not supporting you. It's not helping you. It's an investment, man. It's a marketing investment. They got to get a return off this thing. Exactly. Speaking of marketing, I think, and that's also something you've addressed in your blog, another misconception that probably affects both sides of the table is this sort of like equation of sponsorship and marketing, like they are the same thing. And people go off from that to think of, you know, like clicks and impressions and CPMs and all kinds of stuff, right? And and they're not exactly the same thing, are they? No. Okay. So when you talk about clicks and impressions and all that kind of stuff, you're talking about comparing sponsorship more to an advertising kind of a uh, kind of a model. So marketing is the whole thing. That's the whole thing, right? That's, you know, social and micro targeting and above the line advertising and PR and, you know, internal marketing to your staff and sponsorship. And (laughs) it's like all of that, all of those various channels, the stuff you do in store and then new product development launches, all of that is marketing, right? So it is true to say that sponsorship is a marketing, is a marketing channel. It is a marketing tool, but is it the same thing? No, it is a specific subset of that. And so you don't want to talk about it like advertising and say, this is how many impressions your logo is going to get. And here's how many clicks we think you should be getting onto your landing page or whatever. I mean, that stuff is just not all that useful in something that is driven by meaning and passion and adding value and all of that kind of stuff. So so you really need to take that and run with it because sponsorship is the only marketing media that is all about meaning and passion. It's about what people care about. I mean, advertising isn't about what people care about. Sure, we might watch Stranger Things, but we'd rather watch it. We'd rather just watch it straight through. We'd rather that there weren't ads on the things that we watch and read and listen to. So we don't, we're not in love with that medium. But people are in love with events and they're in love with charities and they're in love with sports and they love they love that stuff. And so the starting point is for sponsorship is that for you rights holders, for you know, a race director, is that is that we can connect with people that care about this in a way that is authentic and relevant and meaningful. And here's all the cool, meaningful things that are going to interest people and push their hot buttons and make them love you like they love running, you know? <laughs> and so, and so it's, it is really about, you know, stop making it about like advertising. Advertising is not as multifaceted power and powerful, and it certainly is not leverageable like sponsorship is. So you've got this 
sort of amazing melange of leverageability, flexibility, and then meaning and passion. And nothing else that they do in marketing does that. And so if you are selling marketing around that meaning, flexibility, and and uh, leverageability, that is music to a sponsor's ears. Like, And even if you're going to a sponsor that maybe isn't as sophisticated as some sponsors, if you talk about that stuff, they're not going to say, ah, oh, nah, I just want to see where all my logo is going to go. They're going to say, wow, this makes a lot of sense. This is really, really smart. I can see how this is going to work for us. Right. The quality of engagement you get through sponsorship is really something really unique unique that you can offer. And, and the quantity of engagement, to be honest, I mean, you can't go up against advertising. If you start pricing your sponsorship as if it's a, like an advertising platform, you're going to come out with peanuts, right? I mean, you can't compete with Facebook or whatever if, if it's just about showing logos to people. And, and it's sort of like, you know, the whole logo thing. Just imagine, imagine, you know, you own a company. Just imagine that you own the company. And you look at a sponsorship and you go, oh, look at all these places they're going to put my logo. And 500,000 people are going to see that logo. Let's find a street where 500,000 people are going to drive past it in the space of two or three weeks. And let's just put up a billboard with just your logo on it. Bing. Equal. But would a, would a brand ever do that? Like, would they ever, ever do that? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, if we're going to put up a, a um, billboard, we want to have it tell a story or like, you know, drive engagement or like have an offer or something like that, not just a logo on something. So don't equate logos with results because a sponsor isn't going to just put a billboard up of a logo anywhere for the equivalent number of eyeballs on it. It's just not going to happen. It's not an, it's not an equivalency at all. So you're saying logos, which I, I tend to agree with, uh, and even banner advertising and stuff like that, it's pretty dumb even for advertising, right? I mean, it's really the least common denominator in advertising. I mean, you really get very, very little out of it. Even advertising has moved beyond logos and banners and, you know, like slogans and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just think about it. Think about all the various different logos that are at a big running event. I mean, how many of those are people even going to remember 10 minutes after they've walked away, much less have changed perceptions and changed behaviors and aligned with that brand or anything like that? I mean, it takes actually sponsors leveraging and adding value to that experience for those things to happen. But we're still saying that I guess all of that stuff is a nice cherry on the cake, but it's not the cake. It's just the cherry on the cake. Correct. I mean, you throw it in there because right. it's something you do. Oh, look, there's an expectation and that's fine. I, I'm not saying don't offer it, but don't overvalue it either. I'm going to, I'm going to actually send a link to a blog that I've got that has the, that lists the most and least valuable benefits. That's one of those things that is the least valuable thing that you can offer. And there's so much better stuff that you can offer, man. Indeed, indeed. So let's move into a very um, interesting area of sponsorship, which is the sponsorship proposal. And I chose, of the many things we could discuss, I chose that because, as I'm sure you do, I sense there's lots of things going wrong there as well. Oh, yeah. Of people making mistakes in their sponsorship approach and process. Proposals, I think, is one place where many of them happen. And I guess it all starts with rights holders not fully understanding what 
a sponsorship proposal is supposed to achieve. So basically why they're putting it together and what they want to what they want to come away with when they submit a proposal. So what is that about? So your sponsorship proposal should be a reasonably concise and when I say reasonably concise that's not to say that it's short, but it has to be really easy to digest like and make real sense as it moves from one piece to another and builds a business case. So sponsorship proposal needs to establish who you are and why you're credible. And, and as soon as you've established who you are and why you're credible, like, you know, who your target markets are and all of that kind of stuff, then you need to stop talking about you and start putting everything into the context of why this works for the sponsor, you know, why it works for the sponsor. And the whole thing with a proposal is that it should follow a story arc. And you might, you know, if you're, if you follow any kind of Hollywood stuff, you know, that they talk about movies having a story arc and sponsorship proposals follow a story arc. That's very, very similar to a blockbuster movie. You know, you sort of build it up, you introduce the characters, create some context and sort of create more care about it. And then there's the, the big climax, you know, the gigantic climax that everybody talks about. And that climax in your proposal, those are the leverage ideas, the ones that are creating the vision. And then it kind of gets all wrapped up. And the benefits and the price are the wrapping up, you know, that everybody goes walking into the sunset holding hands kind of thing. So, <laughs> so the thing is, is that you want to put together something that gives them exactly the right information that they need to make a decision. And here is the key is that the primary audience for your sponsorship proposal is not your contact. It's for that contact to sell it internally. That's the primary job. So, you know, you can think, well, you know, I'm going to, why do I need to do a proper written proposal? Why can't I just do a deck and like stand in front of it and answer any questions and all that kind of stuff? And it's like, so what what is that person that you're pitching to going to do when they're trying to sell it internally, because to do sponsorship well requires, you know, various different people in the organization to take it on board, buy in and leverage it. So sales is doing something in stores, for instance, the social team is doing some other stuff. And then the micro-targeting team is doing some completely other stuff. And then there might be something for staff and there might be, you know, and and that's HR. And so they need to get a whole bunch of different areas to sign on in order to make sure that it's thoroughly and really cost-effectively leveraged. And so you need to create a proposal that does that job. So if you think for a second that your best proposal is something that's really, really pretty and it's in a PowerPoint format, don't do it. Go ahead and do a PowerPoint if you're gonna do a stand-up presentation, but what you need to leave with them is going to be something that's probably a little less pretty with a lot more information in a very, very specific format so they can sell it internally. By the way, I've got a a, um, YouTube video called Sponsorship Proposal Basics in about 15 minutes, and I'll give you a link to that. It's a great video. So it actually just shows how one is constructed and why the pieces are where they are. And if you need a template, you can find one in my book, The Sponsorship Seekers Toolkit, 4th Edition. Awesome. That is an awesome video. I've, I've seen it. That's a great starting point, actually, yes, for people. We spoke earlier a little bit about 
doing some research to figure out how you're going to be speaking the sponsor's language in there. And you mentioned, you know, looking up their social media, going on their website, even looking at their ads. So, you know, like just understanding basically what they're trying to achieve in terms of figuring out what it is of the many assets that that events have that you should actually offer up or or include in your proposal how do you how do you actually identify those those valuable assets that match the sponsor's objectives what should you put in there do you just throw the kitchen sink nope no okay. you don't you should have a list that includes the kitchen sink and it, and i i actually have a template and again i'll send a link called the generic inventory. And it's something that it's the only one that I, of, of the, all the tools in the sponsorship secrets toolkit, fourth edition that I actually make available for free with, you know, like you don't even have to sign up for anything. And it's about eight pages long and it's generic. So it's not for race directors. Um, and it is a huge categorized list of all the things that you could potentially sell around a sponsorship. And so and it's in word format. So basically you can go through that and think, Okay, maybe I can't do this thing that has to do with television because we're not televised, but we could do this other thing through our stream or we could like, so you're, you're kicking stuff out, you're fixing stuff up, you're fine tuning things to make it about your event, right? So this is your inventory and, and the information that you have about your target market, sponsors, target market, their needs, those things create those leverage ideas, right? The leverage ideas, like this is what you could do with it and that's what you could do with it. And then what you do with the benefits is you go, okay, for those leverage ideas, what benefits would they need to make those leverage ideas happen? So you start with the ideas and then you decide what, what are the right benefits. And you can add those kind of generic high, high hygiene benefits like Oh, you're going to get your logos on some stuff and you're going to get, you know, some guaranteed mentions and I'll give you 10 of your staff can get free entry or whatever. <laughs> and all, all that sort of basic, basic, basic stuff. You can put that in there. But if you start from the ideas, they're probably going to require some really interesting, more creative benefits that you that will come off of, of this generic inventory. So that's really important. For events we've put on in the past, I have been through the generic inventory list. And as you say, it's generic, so not everything will apply. But I think it's Correct. it's such a constructive starting point because there's things there, which as you say, perhaps if you sort of try to draw some parallels even, but there's even things that are straight directly there that are 100% applicable that people wouldn't think about. I never thought about some stuff. So, you know, for instance, the fact that, you know, you may, in your race, you know, you may give the sponsor some corporate free entries or whatever. Like, you know, that never crossed my mind, right? And we're talking really table <laughs> stakes here. I mean, you can, you can, just going through that inventory list, my advice would be to people is a fantastic starting point. And it's going to basically stimulate all kinds of ideas around what you could be doing with that stuff. Because you can add a whole bunch of stuff. It's like an idea jumping off point yeah. in addition to being just a list. Like you can look at that and go, well, we can't do any of that stuff, but boy, howdy, can we do this other stuff that this is making me think of? There's another trick to it as well, which I call the million dollar rule. So as you're going through it, you want to go through it. My, my advice is you go through it twice in a half an hour. That's, it just stops you from overthinking it because 
you know, this is just an inventory. You're not committing to offering any of this stuff. It's just for the right price point and the right sponsor, it's, you'll consider it. So when you're going through it and you hit stuff and you think, I don't know, would we do this? It would mean we'd have to pay somebody to do that. Or I don't know if my, my you know, sort of fans would love it if I sold naming rights or whatever like that. So rather than overthinking it in the moment when you're creating your list, which again, is just options. You may never sell some of that stuff. Do the million dollar rule. If the perfect sponsor rocked up with a million dollars a year, would I at least consider providing them with that benefit? And if the answer is yes, leave it on the list. That is not to say that you would sell that cheap or to the wrong sponsor or you'd offer it to everybody. It's that if the perfect sponsor rocked up with the right amount of money, you would see if it's feasible. You might consider doing it. You may consider selling naming rights if somebody waved a million dollar check in your face. <laughs> yes, lots of people would, trust me. And this is what I'm saying. The million dollar rule helps you to stop overthinking it and just to con- continue to look at that inventory as options. They're just options. Yeah, and it's wrong as a process, I agree. I mean, basically you want to have, you want to start off at the base level with a completely unfiltered passive cold inventory list, basically the kitchen sink. Right. And then from there, you choose what to pick, how to sell it or whatever. But you you want to at least know what you've got across everything, right? That's it. But what I have seen, I have to say, is some people go through the inventory and they go, holy crap, I've got lots I can sell. And they focus on selling this broader amount of benefits when what they really need to do is focus on selling the vision and the benefits come out of the back of that. You know, the vision tells you what benefits you need to offer as opposed to saying, woo, look at all these sparkly, beautiful, you know, things that I can, uh, <laughs> that I can offer now and just having a longer list of benefits at the end of your proposal that, that that's not going to actually help you. Did you know that in a recent survey, 73% of responders said that reading reviews influences which races they enter? Well, RaceCheck is the largest aggregator of race reviews in the world and has collected over 40,000 reviews for over 6,000 events globally. So, how can you collect more reviews for your event and make the most of them to increase your race registrations? Well, you can start by listening to our Power of Race Reviews podcast from September 20th last year plenty of tips there on growing your race reviews and then visit organizers.racecheck.com that's organizers with an s.racecheck.com to download your free race check review box so you can start showing all your race reviews on your website for an instant boost to your race's social proof and conversions it really is a no-brainer so go to organizers.racecheck.com that's organizers with an s.racecheck.com and download your free rate check review box today. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Another area where we already touched on a little bit on what a missed opportunity it represents is leverageable audience, total audience, right? And for races, I often see this thing that people don't even get going thinking of looking for sponsorship because they think, you know, oh, I'm a local race, you know, I have like 300 participants or something. No one would bother for 300 people. And completely missing the point you were saying earlier around the fact that it's not just the 300 people. Yeah. So a lot of sponsorship is bought and sold based on the overlap. So if you think about a Venn diagram where 
erases audiences on one side and the sponsor's audiences on the other side. Usually, not always, but usually the sponsor has a much bigger audience. And so there's like, you know, a little overlap there. And, and the race director would turn around to a sponsor and go, look, 30% of my audience is, is part of your audience. And, <laughs> and, and woo, isn't that great? And that is actually underselling yourself to an extreme degree. It's not just about who rocks up. It's about who cares about the event, who cares about stuff happening in their community, who cares about running or, I mean, I don't know if you've got race directors that do triathlons and stuff like yeah, that absolutely. as well. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, who's, you know, who's interested in those larger themes of dedication and doing the miles and putting in the work and, and, and running and, and all of that. Because that ends up being a lot of people running and racing and fitness and all that. Those are some very, very powerful themes that sponsors can leverage outside of a a particular event. So like, let's just say that you've got a, a race that is famous for being the, you know, the steepest running race in Europe, let's say. You know, it's 5Ks and it's all uphill (laughs) or something like that. Now, you might only have 500 elite runners and stupid people that sign up for it. (laughs) So that there's the elite runners that can do it and the stupid people that just want to see if they can do it. (laughs) uh, uh, Yeah, I think I would give that one a wide berth. But that's a really interesting story that a lot of people that wouldn't run it, wouldn't consider running it, might be interested in hearing from a sponsor. It's like, how would you train for something like this? How, you know, like, and, and you know, at, at, at kilometer one, what's it like on the human body to do this? And what happens about around kilometer two? And how bad are they hurting by kilometer four? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... So, so there's angles and hooks that sponsors can leverage to a huge audience that, that are not necessarily just the people you've got on site or the people that are subscribed to your newsletter or whatever. Yeah. Just a, a closer example to your stupid 5K uh, vertical climb example is... Uh, <laughs> Straight up, 5K. <laughs> there's a race in the US called the Barkley Marathons run by a guy called Lazarus Lake, uh, not his real name. He would never take sponsorship, but that's a perfect example of what you're saying about the disconnect between the audience on race day who run it, which, by the way, is six people, I think, and no one finishes, and the huge amount of people who follow that. There's been documentaries about the Barkley Marathons because all the crazy folks out there, and I say this in the most endearing way. Oh, yeah. I wasn't putting people down for no, doing I know, crazy I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, of course. But like, you know, there's, there's tons of people in the ultra running scene who look up to this event with awe. And, you know, again, Lazarus would probably never accept sponsors in, in, in his events. But if he, if he did, that would be a great demonstration of going to sponsors, not for the people that run it, but for a much broader audience. And to your other point about communities, which is also very important, you know, there's a reason why banks or lawyers sponsor races. It's not just to get the, the legal business from like a handful of people who run them. It's for the way they will be perceived in the community and all the stuff they can do around that. And it's also could potentially be stuff for their staff. 
I'm from Minnesota originally, and uh, the Twin Cities Marathon, I'm actually from closer to the Grandma's Marathon up on the North Shore of Lake Superior, which is a beautiful marathon. It's so beautiful. And I come from a very beautiful place. But the Twin Cities Marathon in Minneapolis, St. Paul is quite famous because as part of the sponsor packages, each sponsor gets a water station and their staff spends months and months building this whole set. There are people that their staff, they've got hundreds of staff that are building castles and you've got knights in shining armor and damsels handing the water out. And then the next one down is like Sesame Street. And then that's like, <laughs> and this ends up being this huge staff bonding company culture kind of thing that happens. So, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that angles that could be taken on board. So I wanted to um, wrap up with another area. These are handpicked for problems. So these are my my handpicked <laughs> problem areas where I wanted your expertise. The last one is the relationship with sponsors, which again, I feel people sometimes mishandle. So first question I had for you was, you hear this thing about customers, you know, like the customer's always right, customer's always right. In your dealing with sponsors, is it fair to say that a sponsor's always right as well? Look, you want to be responsive to sponsors. You want to have a budget, which I'll talk about in a second, for being responsive to sponsors. But if you're just a pushover and the the sponsors are saying, I want you to change your event this way that suits me. It doesn't suit the runners, but it suits me. Um, And then you do it. Like, that's just ridiculous. And sponsors need to wind their heads in. But some of them try it on. They do. Again, what we want to do is we want to position these race directors or whoever it is that's doing their commercial stuff as peers. And if they're peers, then they work together with a sponsor. And so one of the tools that I suggest is that every time you get some money in from a sponsor, let's just say, I'm just going to grab a number out of a hat. Let's say you get $20,000 out of a sponsor. Let's just say you want to hive off 10% of that. 10%, so $2,000. And that is for not for delivering the sponsorship and it's not for your race. That $2,000 is for adding value to the relationship. So it's giving them bonus benefits, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Now you work that into your pricing. So it's not just money off the bottom. It's just, you know, like it's actually worked into the pricing and I'm going to I'm going to give a link to some uh, a blog called Sponsorship Pricing Basics, which sort of talks about this. Now, the thing is, if you're telling sponsors, we have an organizational uh, approach where we budget and spend a minimum of 10% of the, full, the total value of your sponsorship to add value to the sponsorship, sponsors will be very impressed with that. Then if they are asking for something extra, like, oh, can we get, can we get a double size marquee or could we do, you know, more entries to the, to the race for our staff or whatever, you can be responsive and say, sure, we have some budget to give you additional benefits. And so we're very happy to do that. This fits within that budget. If they start to push the budget, you might say at this point, we're right at the edge of the budget that we'd already discussed. So we've already spent $1,900 and we have a budget of 2000. So at this point, do we need to discuss whether you actually need a bigger sponsorship to accommodate your needs 
or are we okay where we're at and we'll just not do this extra thing because we've already done so much for you already? And I mean, that makes you look realistic, professional, responsive, but not a pushover. And most sponsors aren't dickheads, but some are. And sometimes you just need to, you know, sort of say, yeah, well, we're at the end of that. And, uh, and so that's helpful. Now, when you do add those, add that value, it could be extra bonus benefits that the sponsor doesn't ask for that you just say, how about if we do this for you? And the sponsor is like, Ooh, yeah, baby. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they love that. Um, but, or, or you can provide benefits that the sponsor asks for additional favors, extensions of things. You could do, um, you know, sponsor education. I, I present at lots and lots and lots of like sponsor workshops, which is like how to leverage and measure your own sponsorship and, and that kind of stuff. You can spend some of that money on that because that's very high value for sponsors or sponsor networking events that are like not right next to the race, but are, you know, in the middle of the year kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so there's lots of things that you can do with that money that, that nurtures your relationship, but starting from a position of the sponsor's always right. We just have to do whatever they ask because they're giving us the money is, is really making a rod for your own back. Right. And you're saying there that you would actually prepare to over deliver. You would Correct. want to go into a sponsorship and basically surprise a sponsor on the upside with more stuff. Yeah. I mean, and you've got this gigantic inventory. You've got lots of options of things that you know will be valuable to them that will help them with their objectives that you can just give them this little bonus here and there. Would you bonus them something that costs you a ton of money? Probably not, but there's heaps of valuable benefits that don't. So when you're doing a a proposal, when you're in that final negotiation, just keep a couple of benefits in your pocket that you know you're going to give them during the course of the sponsorship. The great thing about that is that putting it in there at the beginning, like just the psychology of it, you know, like getting surprised with stuff you didn't expect is just a lot more impactful than just, you know, like just putting it there up front. Correct. When you have sponsors at least pushing you, you can be sure you've solved one problem, which is that you have an engaging sponsor, an engaged sponsor rather, right? I mean, they want to work with you. If anything, maybe they're pushing you too hard, but they want to work you. What if you have the other problem, which is that, you know, sometimes sponsors, they sign off on something, they even pay you the money, but then they very poorly activate their own sponsorships and they're just not involved. Is that an issue you think you should be fixing sort of for the long-term benefit of their relationship? Or are you just going to say, you know, whatever, like I made something available to you, you're under exploiting it, whatever, it's your issue. Well, okay. There's a couple of things with this. You can try to get them to engage. And there's a few kind of strategies for doing that. Like one of them I already alluded to, which is to do some sponsor education. And that gets all your sponsors and their marketing teams in one room. And then you have somebody that is not you deliver a a, a deliver like a, this is how sponsorship works. And, you know, sort of here's how you can leverage it. And let's, let's go through a brainstorm and all of you teams do your brainstorms around your own, you know, how your own brands can leverage this. And then like, I walk them through that when I do it um, and how to measure it. So in those rooms, there's these really, really mixed groups of very engaged, really sophisticated sponsors and less sophisticated sponsors. And if you have somebody, again, that's not you kind of kicking their ass to be creative, 
then, then, um, and then like, if it's me, like I can kick their ass, I can get the creativity going. And then I get to walk out the door and, and not look like, you know, and, and you don't end up, you know, sort of looking like the bad guy that said there are bad sponsors. Cause I can sort of nicely say that without you having to say that. So there's, there's that, or you can distribute like links to blogs and links to, you know, links to white papers. I'm going to give you some links to two white papers that I've written. One is Last Generation Sponsorship Redux, which is a must read for your race directors because it basically says, this is what a sponsor is trying to do. Like the the absolute basis of best practice sponsorship is that it needs to be win-win-win with the third win going to the target market, the sponsor's target markets, your fans, their customers, their staff, et cetera, and how that all works. And, and I'm going to also send a link to one called a newer one that's much edgier and aimed at sponsors called disruptive sponsorship. And you can actually say as a race director, you know, we're trying to up our game in sponsorship and we found some really good, interesting sort of um, resources for sponsors and, you know, no pressure. But if you feel like reading this, here's a link or, you know, or what have you. So you can link to case studies that you might find through social media. You can link to those kind of things and share them out. So it's a bit of soft education to get their juices going. Another good thing to do is like, let's just say that you do a sponsored networking event, you know, some cocktails or a breakfast or something like that sometime in the middle of the year. And you get your best sponsors, your most creative, most engaged sponsors to do 10 minute case studies. That's a good idea. Everybody else in the room is going to be going, Ooh, if they can do that, we can do something similar to that. Cause sometimes they'll take the advice from an outsider like me. Sometimes they'll take it from another sponsor who they consider a peer more than they're going to take it from you, unfortunately. So, <laughs> so those are just some tricks yeah. to getting them, you know, sort of up, up and going. But the thing is, if a sponsor is really intractably not engaged and there may, and they might also be underpaying you because they don't see the value in doing something with it. So they're underpaying you at the same time. It might actually be worthwhile to fire them because if they're taking up the space where another better sponsor could be, like if that's a bank that's giving you $5,000 of go away money, when you know that the right bank would be doing a ton of stuff with this and would give you, you know, 25 or 50 or 70 grand instead, just fire them. (laughs) Say, I'm not renewing you because you're not engaged enough. You know, you can try that whole, you know, we really need you to be more engaged and get more out of this this year. We're going to give you a bigger, better proposal. You can try all that. But if they just don't want it and you see more opportunity there, sort of like the one in the hand and two in the bush, sometimes the one in the hand is just not worth hanging on to. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's a, that's a great example of the peer relationship there. They can fire you. And obviously most race directors and, and event directors, they live with that threat and that risk and they try to oversatisfy sponsors. But I think you should feel comfortable and confident at some point in firing your sponsors if they're, if they're underperforming and they're not making the most of a great asset you're offering. One of the, one of the magic words that rights holders can use in this kind of situation is the, is the phrase commercial reality. You can say commercial reality is that in your category, we should be making more money and we should be working with a sponsor that is doing more for the fans and doing more with the sponsorship. So we're going to not renew because we need to actually make this category perform 
Now, when you use the word commercial reality, that's basically code for if you were in my position, you'd do the same damn thing. So yeah, that's a really good phrase to have in your pocket. Yeah. To be honest, I think also having having been on the on the end offering sponsorship to unresponsive parties sometimes, or like you know, to people who are frustratingly uh, disengaged, it just gets tiresome. I think after a while, right? I mean, you just want to work with someone who appreciates what it is that they're being offered and make the most of it. You don't want to be just you know like chasing people or you know like following up with tons of emails simply so they can actually make something of the thing that you offered up to them. Like in good faith, try to educate them, try to inspire them with some case studies, try to, you know, send them ideas via blogs and white papers, like try to, try to sit down and say, look, commercial reality is we need you to step up. And if you don't step up, we can't renew you. But we'll we'll work really closely with you to, to try to create something that works for everybody. Like in good faith, do all of that. But if they're still not responsive, just be prepared to walk away. Last thing on this relationship front, in terms of the frequency with which you would communicate with sponsors, I guess that's a pretty open-ended question, but is there over-communicating or perhaps under-communicating in a sponsorship relationship? You sort of have to meet with them and have a chat with them or Zoom with them or whatever fairly regularly. But but the, the key thing for me is reporting. So, you know, you want to be giving them reports that are really, really timely instead of like one of those stupid, fat reports that just have a bunch of photos of logos and happy people running through the tape at the end of the day, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's like, that's not telling them anything about what they accomplished. So instead, you know, on a monthly or a bi-monthly basis, send them a very short email that says, here's where we're at in our planning, or here's what's going on, or we're, we've, we've hit 70% of uh, full on our registrations, which is ahead of last year or whatever. And then you say, okay, this month or these last two months, these are the benefits that we've provided to you. And then say, these are the added value benefits that we've provided to you. So make sure you're going, look, we did some free, cool, extra stuff for you. <laughs> say, here are, here are some dates and deadlines coming up. Here are some issues, challenges, whatever that we need to discuss. Can we, you know, make a meeting to do that? You know, here's some payments that are that are coming due. You know, like literally, this is, you know, a third of a page. It's really short, but it sort of gives them the right information at the right time all the way through, as opposed to only giving them one report at the end that sort of pretends to be some kind of measurement evaluation thing, but it really isn't because honestly, it's only a sponsor can measure their, their um, results. I mean, you know, they own the objectives, they own the benchmarks, they have the experts in measuring them. Like, how are you going to measure, you know, an uptick in sales across their dealership network? <laughs> like, that's not something you can do. So instead, talk about reporting. And in those reports, flag stuff you need to talk about. And honestly, if you need to talk about something urgently, just pick up the phone, you know, but you may not have a meeting with them for three or four or five months because there's nothing major happening, but continue to sort of report. You may do that like every three months for six months and then every month for six months because it'd be just because that might be the flow of work and things happening around your race. Yeah, but I, I definitely agree with the idea that as part of communicating with them, 
you need to be stressing all the things you do for them. It's basically, you know, like what you get with all of these companies that tell you how you use their product and stuff. Like you need to remind them that you're doing stuff for them. It's it's really important. Correct. So I want to end up with one question. I wanted to ask you that in the sponsorship proposal section, but I think it's it's something I wanted to leave for last. I guess it may evoke some uh, strong emotions. <laughs> Which is sponsorship packages. <laughs> wow. I wonder I wonder what it's going to be. Am I going to be pissed off? Am I going to be happy? No. <laughs> no. But, but I usually, I think I've read also on your blog and, and, and other people feel quite strong. It's like sort of like a question that divides and that's sponsorship packages. Oh. Gold, silver, bronze. And I'm asking oh. this because lots of race directors, lots, lots, lots of, of race directors use this. They've expanded into precious jewels as well, emeralds and, and sapphires and stuff. Oh, God. But like, what's what's your take on this? Because I guess on the one hand, I can see the utility of bunching stuff up. But on the other hand, it feels a little bit tired. Stupid? Yeah. Stupid. Stupid, is it? Okay. <laughs> So maybe you want to elaborate on that. It happens to a lot of people. And so so if this is something that you do as a race director, don't feel bad about it, but let's fix it, shall we? The whole gold, silver, bronze thing, you as a race director, you may think that this is a good idea because all you have to do is just make these packages, whether they're gold, silver, bronze, or platinum or whatever. I mean, I've seen them that are like 14 levels of various precious metals and gems and all that kind of stuff. And you may think that bundling these things up is going to be easy for the sponsors to just decide, like um, self-pick what level is appropriate for them, right? But basically what you're doing is, is that all of these various levels are just more and less of the same exact thing, right? So they're, they're not customized, have nothing to do with what a sponsor actually needs, those same exact things are all those hygiene benefits. They're not the creative, cool benefits at all, right? And here is the thing. Sponsors hate levels. They make you look inflexible. They make you look unsophisticated. They make you look lazy. Now, you may not be any of those things, but that's the way sponsors see that. And when, oh, I'm gonna, I've got another blog that I'm going to provide as well about how sponsors evaluate sponsorship proposals. And you think that right at the beginning of, you know, when they're looking at a sponsorship proposal, they look at the back for the price. They're not looking at the back for the price. They're looking at the back for levels because if they know if there's levels there, you're not sophisticated, that you haven't done one bit of work to figure out what they need and to create something bespoke for them. They know you're going to be hard to work with. They know that you don't even understand your own value. And and so levels, just freaking stop it, will ya? It's like really, really counterproductive. And, and so think about creating fewer proposals that are worth way more and are much, much more comprehensive and, and much more customized for the sponsors. So you'll create fewer proposals, but your strike rate in terms of getting yeses is going to be way higher. And you're actually damaging your credibility by doing levels. So it's more like taking a kind of sniper approach rather than throwing bullets around. That's it. Yep. Right. Okay. Would you not 
even like put any structure around the benefits, basically group them together in some way, create some kind of levels or something, just leave it all kind of open? So the, my recommendation, and this is something that I get into in great detail, like in the online training and such, my recommendation is that you shift from levels to bands. Now that may sound like, what's the difference? That sounds exactly the same. But levels is basically that it's a set package. A gold is this and silver is that and bronze is that. Bands are, are usually around financial commitments. So, you know, you could have principal, major and supporting. So it's like, you know, depending on the size of your event, supporting could be somebody that's spending $5,000 a year or less. And major could be from 5,000 to 30,000 and principal could be over 30,000, you know, and you might also say, well, if they're going to be a principal sponsor, we're only going to have three of them and they have to sign up for at least three years because we don't want our biggest sponsors to be changing every year. And those numbers could be much higher or much lower. That's just kind of an indicative spread. So it's, it's basically saying that if you want to call yourself a major sponsor, that has value in and of itself. And you can't call yourself a major sponsor unless you're spending at least this much. And at that point, we're going to create a bespoke thing for you. So all the major sponsors are not going to be paying the same amount. They're not going to be getting the same exact package. They're buying the designation along with the other benefits. Right. And you see that, I think, in like the Football World Cup and stuff like that, that that's the way they bunch people up, right? So you have major and... Yeah. So all of the all the principal ones and all the major ones, they're not all getting the same things and they're not all spending the same amount of money. Well, Kim, I think I've run out of questions. It's been highly entertaining, highly educational. I want to thank you again very much for uh, taking the time. I know you're very busy with stuff. Please tell our audience where they can find more about you, some of the services you offer and how they can get some of that power sponsorship magic. So I'm going to do a PDF that people can download. So, so that, does that work for you? If I send you a PDF sure. with all the links and things? My website is powersponsorship.com. It's my company kind of got named by accident. It wasn't my first choice. But powersponsorship.com, that's where you'll find all the blogs and white papers and videos and all that stuff. They're all there. By all means, head over there. I'm going to send a PDF with a bunch of live links to particular blogs and, 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 and things that support kind of the stuff that I was talking about. Um, in addition, I'm really happy to offer a 30% discount to anybody that listens to this. Awesome. So I'll give the discount code and that 30% discount is for my comprehensive online course for, um, for rights holders. So it's not specific to races, but, but like the rest of the advice that I've been giving here, it's absolutely applicable. 100% applicable. Once this, uh, this podcast drops, you'll have about two, two and a half weeks, something like that, in order to use that discount. And so that'll save you a fair amount of money. And there's a bunch of inclusions and stuff on that as well. So I'll, I'll provide all the, all the links and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Kim, we really appreciate that. And I would say that people should seriously consider going through that course, because obviously like the stuff that we can see on the public side, which is the blog post and stuff, there's tons of value in that. I can't imagine how much more, how many more tips there might be in the actual course. And I think it's a great starter for people if they want to just go ahead and take a look at that. The plus with the course is that it's step-by-step and at each step, there are things that you as a race director or a commercial director or whatever 
can do. It's like, so here is how you figure out what your brand architecture is. And here is how you define your target market segments because sponsors need to know that stuff. And then here's how you create a hit list. Now you do it. And here's how you do this. Now you do it. So it actually shows how these things happen sort of like a fake brainstorm and then gives you homework to do it for yourself all the way through. Awesome. So it's, it's, you could read every single one of my blogs and you'd get a lot of information, but it isn't a cohesive step-by-step process. Right. And I think if you're here, if you're, if you find yourself listening to this and, you know, you picked up on this podcast because you're a little bit frustrated with sponsorship and stuff and you want to like a fresh start, I think that would be a great fresh start for you to just reset a few things, rethink a few things. Hopefully this podcast helped you rethink a few things. Kim, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on. Cheers. Thanks, Panos. It's been a pleasure. It's been heaps fun. And I want to thank everyone listening in and we'll see you all on our next podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's sponsorship episode with Power Sponsorship's Kim Skildum Reed. If you'd like to take today's learning further, you can sign up for Kim's best-selling Getting to Yes online sponsorship course and save a cool 30% by using the discount code in the show notes. And do note that the code expires on August 10th, so be quick. Many thanks again to our awesome podcast sponsors, Run Sign Up and Race Check, for sponsoring today's podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite player and check out our podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.